I promise you, when you put it up and you see that yoke, you can't do nothing but get your roll on. You can't do nothing but get your roll on. A dumb play by, by Anderson. I love I love Anderson. But it was a dumb play when he had when his foot was uh, shoe was coming off up the line screen. We were hard and take timeout. for a rare, rare Friday edition of the post-game podcast. And the Vikings are now six and seven after against all odds going from a 29 point lead to another game that ends on the last play of the game. So before we dive into it, Ryan, just your, your uh, instant reaction to those three hours, three and a half hours we spent in us bank stadium last night. I think um, if you can get better entertainment <laughs> than that, for, for three hours. I'd love to see it. Um, I think Zimmer probably said it best in his press conference. The Vikings that we saw in the first half can beat anybody that they played, and the Vikings that played in the, the second half um, could get beat by anybody that they played. So um, really just a tale of two halves. On the internet, I said I was never scared. That I always felt felt faith, but but deep down I was a little nervous as a as, uh, as we thought we were seeing a repeat of, of last week yeah, on that final drive. Yeah. It was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? At this point, which is a lot of what Minnesota, Minnesota sports is. Cause we have this, like, I guess Stockholm syndrome isn't the right word for it, but some sort of a mentality where, you know, what can go wrong will go wrong. And from the first, from they're up 29, nothing, and then they score. So 29, seven, and people are already on Twitter saying that this is going to happen, you know? And We'll get into kind of how it happened and why it happened, but ultimately came out with the win, played really well for most of the game, but, you know, had some mistakes that led to it being close in the end. So um, I want to start with Dalvin Cook because this was the best game that he's had this season, and it's good to see him kind of in prime form again, which we haven't really seen this season. We weren't even expecting him to play in this game because he dislocated his shoulder less than two weeks ago, and all the reports were he's going to be out for – you know, the Detroit game and this game, and then potentially back for Monday night football next week. But he got the harness on, was ready to go and went out and just dominated the game. Uh, 27 carries, 205 yards, two touchdowns. And like I said, just, I think the best, you know, this running game, which this offense was built on, especially last year has been good, but not really on this level at all this season. There hasn't been, I don't know if there's just been not as much, burst from Dalvin or it's the passing and stuff, but this is the first time this season. I think we've seen that what was a really great running game um, last year and has been under Dalvin, you know, the last few years. So great to see that. And he's certainly the MVP of the game for the Vikings um, offense. Yeah, by far his, his best game of the year. um, And right up there with, with best, best game of his career. Um, He had 206 yards, which is career high. Um, 
before his final carry and lost lost a yard on his final carry just to drop him down to to the 205 but um delvin was he looked really good last night um you and i talked about how in his initial quickness that that first cut those first 10 yards whatever it may be he is he's a step and a half faster than than madison and, and you really can see it when he's when he's first starting those runs um but it was really good to see see him have quite the night. Yeah, and especially in a game like last night where the holes that he's running through are just absolutely wide open. I know, I think it was on the second drive, so he broke a pretty good one on the first drive. And then on the second drive, Vikings get around midfield and you have uh, Justin Jefferson on Kirk's left and Dalvin on Kirk's right. You motion Jefferson out to the right, and we, we just watched as the defense all pre-snap is looking that way and a couple of people are flowing that way. And then you give the counter to Dalvin back the other way and it's just... I mean, I don't think that uh, Brian O'Neill even had to block anybody because there was nobody there and he's just running through a big hole. And yeah, I mean, 205 yards is obviously not a rushing performance we see a lot of these days. So, and they could have probably had more. They will talk about it, but they got away from the run game a little bit late. So just great to see, you know, he definitely brings another dimension to this offense. And I do think that, the threat of Jefferson and the passing game that's become more of the strength of this team now has kind of reverse engineered that running game, which used to be the run to set up the pass. Now you have the pass threat to set up the the run and, you know, people are not crowding the box on, on Dalvin cook because they know, you know, that you have Justin and the other receivers out there. So that's great to see. And hopefully moving forward, you can have that kind of two headed monster on offense with keeping the defense off guard and yeah. I mean, Jefferson was pretty open in that first quarter too. So we'll get to him later. Um, there was one, one moment that I was watching the highlights back and noticed was on his, I think it was, I don't know which touchdown it was either first or second touchdown for Dalvin. Well, the first one was, he was just absolutely untouched for 30 yards, which was an awesome run. And then the second one, but one of them, KJ Osborne comes over to him and like crowns him, like puts the crown on his helmet. So I was just thinking about that because Osborne, you know, famously did the, the LeBron like silencer celebration after his overtime catch in Carolina. And then we've seen the last few weeks, Justin Jefferson is a huge LeBron fan in his, as he went to a Lakers game, wore a LeBron shirt and stuff. So we might have a couple of LeBron stands in the wide receiver room, which is great uh, moving forward for us. Yeah, for sure. Obviously you and I are going to be particular to those guys um, being the, the LeBron fan stands that we are um but it was i i've seen kj do that to justin the last couple of weeks as well um whether it be after after a big play or touchdown don't overdo it that's but, all i'll say but i still like it right right but um delvin definitely was was the one to wear the crown last night even though in that first quarter um it almost felt like jefferson was the bigger threat and i think going forward still needs to be the the focal point of this offense um, but on the flip side of that, the, and, and we'll get into this as the game went on, the Vikings did have a couple struggles, uh, as the, the field shortened up and they got into the red zone. And I think they, they really miss Adam Thielen in those spots. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing on Dalvin I'll say for now is we had talked about his rushing, but he did one of the plays of the game. Didn't quite, quite ice it, but was a big third down on that last drive when the Vikings are trying to run out of the clock and. Um, Dalvin gets to that um, that window in the second level and gets hit by a, a nice pass and catch. And then 
gets popped pretty good by the safety or whoever it was and hangs onto it with it. Just a great catch and play that was significant at the time. And still, I mean, the time is what ran out on the Steelers. So um, great play there as well, utilizing him in the, in the passing game. So as we talk about Dalvin so much, we should talk about the offensive line because that was what, I mean, I think regardless Dalvin cook, or if Madison had started tonight, Madison probably gets maybe only 150 instead of 205 or whatever, but the holes that he was would have been able to run through would have yielded similar results, right? So great performance on the offensive line, especially run blocking. There were some pressures and stuff given up, but we have the same kind of uh, configuration as as last week with uh, Bradbury back in, Mason Cole at the at the guard spot, and Oli Udo at left tackle. And if you want, I can read through quick the just the pass blocking grades of these guys because. It's interesting to see, keeping in mind that Darasaw is still out. But so Oli Udo, yeah, sure. who hopefully will not be left tackle once Darasaw is back, <laughs> uh, was put up a 43.7 uh, grade. And so these are out of 100, right? Um, mm-hmm. Cleveland, uh, 63.6. So pretty, you know, pretty average, like not bad. Bradbury, 77.4. Mason Cole, 82.8. And Brian O'Neill, 71.7. So that's four out of five. Like that's what you want as far as on the offensive line. So I think if you get Darisaw back, keep the same um, lineup. Don't put Ole back at right guard. Like I think we like what Mason Cole's doing there. I don't want to say it, but we might have, we might have a solid offensive line at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, even the last couple of games, you've looked at, at, at those grades um, and you can say one of these things is not like the others. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, four out of five with Oli being, being the fifth. Um, not that they're putting up elite grades, which some of them were this week, but um, they're respectable. And um, from where we've come with the Dakota Dozers and, and everything like that, um, if we can get respectable guard and, and tackle play, then that's going to look a lot better in our eyes. Yep. Yeah. And hopefully they're figuring out some things as far as, like we said, the run game maybe hasn't been quite as explosive or as in sync as we would like it to be, especially from last year. So if that can be, can continue just from a run blocking perspective, you know, we mostly focus on pass blocking, but that's the way that they can, tr- can control games, especially heading into, I mean, we're already in December, but heading down the stretch here in these last four games. So hopefully that's the case. Um, let's move to the defense though, because this was, I mean, the most glaring tale of two halves, part of this, which was, well, we can talk a bit more about how we got up, which was, you know, the Dalvin cook running and then a really good defensive half as far as, I mean, a shutout, you can't get any better than that. And, you know, the best this defense has looked in a, in a while, what was the main thing that stood out to you as far as what they were doing on defense that was able to build that big lead? Um, the main thing is we were getting consistent pressure. Um, I, I don't know if it was four sacks in the first half, um, but Zimmer was, was dialing up different packages and, and he did have um, Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks or Michael Kendricks or uh, Eric, Eric Hendricks. Kendricks back. So um, I think Zim had a, a couple extra, couple extra looks lined up for Ben um, on a short week. And, and it was really giving them fits in the first half. Seemed like any time Ben dropped back to pass, there was a free rusher coming or, or pretty immediate pressure, um, which just took so much, so much pressure off of the cornerbacks. Um, 
So that, that really, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is even though your defensive line is still missing what I would call your best two pass rushers in, in Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter, they were able to manufacture some pressures um, and Wanham really looked good. Um, and, and I think that is the lifeblood of a Zimmer defense. Yep. Yeah. They were getting after it for sure. You mentioned a couple of the sacks were from, you know, not the, not the front four. So Kendricks had one Harrison Smith had another, and then uh, Watts was getting in there. Sheldon was getting in there. So yeah, controlling the line of scrimmage, that's a big thing. So that was good to see that unfortunately it didn't really carry over into the second half. But the other thing that just stood out to me, especially in the first half, and it was pretty good throughout the game was just compared to, especially last Sunday, the, just the tackling when, you know, Najee Harris or whoever else is getting out into space, uh, making that first tackle, not allowing yards after contact, those sorts of things. So I thought they were on it from that perspective. Um, it's, and it helps to have Kendricks back out there as far as making those plays instead of Virgil or whoever. So right. Vigil. Um, yeah, so that that's what stood out. I mean, a great defensive half for sure. And I think we felt confident going into the second half that even if the Steelers or even if the Vikings don't score a ton more, you know, the way the defense is playing, they're going to be um, able to shut down this Steelers offense. And to some extent that was yeah. true because they were a couple short fields, but um, it certainly didn't carry over quite to that extent in the second half. Yeah. And one thing before we, we get into the second half is the Vikings did not give up any points in, in the final two minutes of the first yeah. half. So um and I, was, had, I think I the Steelers say, had the ball twice in the last two minutes too. Right. I was mod- modestly optimistic um, as the Vikings were up 23 to zero, kind of staring, staring halftime in the face. Um, but when we, when we didn't give up points and, and took that shutout into halftime, I thought, well, this is something that the Vikings have not done this year. Something we've literally um, not seen once this season. <laughs> So th- then it, it's all gravy from there. We're, we're playing with house money, um, but they still, still managed to, to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the, I think, I think you're right. It was, they had five sacks total. Um, and I should mention to Eric Hendricks since he had another sack, that was his, he had his career high, which is five sacks now on the season. And the pass rush was one thing that did not really carry over into the second half. My guess is that, like you said, Zimmer had some stuff dialed up that got used in the first half. And then some of those protections got figured out a little bit in the second half. And since talking about pass rush, including this game, since Daniel Hunter got hurt, the Vikings have now given up 34 points, 20 points, 31, 34, 29, and 28. So obviously we've lost Everson as well, but, and there were some other injuries going along with that, but I just think Daniel Hunter is the, you know, probably the best player, second best player on this defense and pass rushing is such an important key to what Zimmer wants to be able to do. And just losing that is, I mean, we saw it last year with the worst D line in the NFL and they're better this year on the D line, but without Daniil, it just makes a big difference. So with that, we should move on to, let me ask you this, whether it's on offense or defense, because I have one in mind, what was the play that you felt like was the turn towards the Steelers actually getting momentum and putting a couple of, of scoring drives together. Is there one kind of turning point there? There's one, there's, there's one that stands out to me and I doubt it's the same as yours, but maybe it is. It'd be awesome. Um, The turning point for me was actually a great play made by the Vikings. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay. The, uh, 
I think the Steelers are trying to trying to set up a quick wide receiver screen and um, Chris Boyd, who has not been free from criticism from us um, in, in the past to his credit makes a great play. I think for probably a loss of two to three yards um, is just right there before the blocking makes the ta- makes the tackle big hit and he gets up and stands over the receiver looking down. I'm sure saying whatever he was saying um, because he was pumped up about a big play and he, they get called for taunting automatic first down, etc. Um, that is when I felt like kind of the, the Vikings went from most likely getting a stop. I think that was on a second down. Um, yeah, it was gonna so it's going to be third and mm-hmm. third and long to first down. And now they're, they're inside our, they're in Vikings territory. So, yep. Yeah, that probably that play probably didn't have the biggest um, jump on the like win percentage or whatever. But as far as giving a team life and like giving them another chance to to then score, because if you get them in third and long, fourth and long there, you know, they're going to have to go for it, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, Kirk comes out on the next drive and throws a quick interception. And suddenly, you know, Steelers are scoring twice within like under three minutes. So to stay on the defense with that, Chris Boyd, even being on the field is kind of a was kind of a weird thing. And I think just the, the biggest weakness of this defense, I think is just cornerback depth. And when Patrick Peterson is really your only solid quarterback cornerback that you have, and he's like, I don't know what he is like now, 35 or something. It's just a problem. And Breland is bad, but he's also their second best guy. I think, I mean, he's, he's, he has his moments both ways. He had an interception tonight and he got beat or last night, but he got beat for a touchdown as well. And, had a pass interference and other stuff like Breland's bad, but Zim obviously trusts him more than Dantzler. And I think rightfully so. And then Boyd, right. Even more so. So I just think what their margin for error is so small that if your one bad corner is getting picked on, you're in trouble. Or if your one bad corner is out and your even worse corners are in, you're in really big trouble. So that's what I think what Steelers figured out. And then they just start throwing jump balls to these receivers who made some great catches in the second half. And more than anything, when we talk about why the roster is in the situation that it is, I just think it's a, this is probably the biggest failure or indictment of, of Rick Spielman, which is you've drafted multiple corners high in the last four or five years, and none of them are contributing. You know, your best two guys are free agents that were cast off by other teams. Those are your best two guys that you're playing with. Then they're old and they get hurt. So, so that's the biggest problem I think with the defense and that showed when once one corner goes out, you're going to have guys getting picked on, whether it's Chris Boyd or Dantzler or even Breland when he's in there. Right. And I think I'm sure going back to last week, I'm guessing a lot of that, the final play um, was misplayed by either Woods or, or Dantzler. And I think maybe Dantzler was a little bit, back in the doghouse um, like the start of this season because of that seemed like they were less willing to play him, but regardless, he still is a, a step down from Breland. Um, the thing that, that stood out to me is pro football focus has their grades and sometimes they're great and sometimes they're not, but the bottom three grades for the, the Vikings defense were Rashad Breland um, Mackenzie Alexander and, and Patrick Peterson. So those are the three corners that you would expect to see the field the most. Mm -hmm. And, and they just got, they were eaten up 
Yeah, on the we're kind of just going to do all the defense stuff here, and then we'll get to the offensive side, which obviously contributed to the comeback as well. But kind of the last drive, the last play, this is something that stood out to me when I was watching the highlights was you have Steelers have no timeouts, and they go, there's 10 seconds left, and they're on like the, I don't know, 25 or so. And there's a pass underneath right in the middle of the field. The guy's running across, and you think that we've got him stopped in bounds. And Patrick Peterson was the one that missed the tackle there. Um, to keep him in bounds, and that would have been the end of the game. And then he gets um, gets out of bounds with two seconds left, and they get one more play to try to score a touchdown. So, so that was a big miss by Peterson. And then, of course, Harrison Smith comes up clutch with the knockout on the last play. Um, really great play by him because it does. I don't think we could tell at the time from our angle, but yeah, I mean that ball was in his hands, um, and it got knocked out by by Harrison. So, um, great play by him to save the game there and. Yeah, anything else you noticed kind of on that last drive or last play? Yeah, I think um, I think the last drive, we did make some changes compared to the last drive last week. Um, it seemed like they were playing the clock less and actually trying to get stops. Um, and I think there was probably less time for Pittsburgh that, that maybe it impacted that. But the Vikings – seemed willing to give up the middle of the field and like you said still couldn't couldn't make plays to keep them in bounds and, and keep keep that clock running um on the last drive there was a, a play to um how did i say it chase or clace chaypool um <laughs> so that how i said it during the game yesterday he made, he made a catch for a first down um, in the middle of the field, clock's running, and rather than getting the ball directly to to an official to, to get it spotted, he takes the time to do his first down motion, which costs the Steelers three to four seconds, um, and I think costs them eventually a, another shot at the end zone there. Um, but that's just some, some of those plays that, that you can't have um, if you want to win NFL football games and the Vikings had plenty as well, but. Yeah. I do like not even just on that drive, but overall the way they were playing defense, I would much rather get beat that way, which is the Steelers receivers are making contested catches. Um, we had a couple of pass interferences as well, but some really great catches by the Steelers, a couple that were almost simultaneous con, um, receptions with our, our defensive backs. And you know, that's going to happen. That's they've got good receivers and that's make them making good plays. So much rather that than, you know, Jared Goff being able to dump it off for 10 yards, you know, easily and get um, moved down the field like that. So, so they were getting, getting beat instead of, you know, just allowing the, the team to move on them. So, so I did like that overall compared to, you know, what we saw last week. Yeah, it definitely, definitely was different. There was a lot less of a cushion for those receivers to start with. Um, even if they were making those, those catches over our corners, um, we were at at least somewhat in a position to make a play better than, than in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get to, to Kirk here in a minute um, and his game, which was really interesting to talk about, but first we should, you know, we like to try, try to give a little bit of the background when we're at the games and stuff. So just a little bit about this one um, Thursday night, obviously, which is a, any, any primetime game is a lot of fun. And it was a, this was a good example of like, you know, a lot, we had some friends that were at the game that only go to like one a year. And so, and it's like, you think 
going in, it's like, oh man, the Vikings are five and seven, but every game like has, especially a primetime game has a certain level of like excitement and atmosphere that regardless of the record, it's going to be a great experience um, as a standalone game. So that was definitely the case last night. And we also had at halftime, we had a Flo Rida um, concert, which was unexpected. And I haven't thought about Flo Rida in like probably like 10 years, but pretty entertaining, pretty good. I thought um, one of the better halftime shows we've seen, at least for, from an entertainer, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, I thought it was, it, it, it fit my age group. Um, Flo Rida was pretty popular when, when we graduated high school yeah. and that kind of time. So that was great, but um, seemed like he did a pretty good job of, of knowing his place. Granted, he got to perform in front of a Vikings crowd that just saw 23 to zero yeah. half from their Vikings. So um, great, get, great get for him. I mean, seems like you would be, be good to go there, but um, the atmosphere was great. The, um, the fans in our section seemed to seem to do really well, or we enjoyed who was in our section for the most part. Um, and, and you, you really just never know on a Thursday night. Yeah, that's for sure. And one of the cool things about us bank stadium, for those that have been there, especially in a primetime game is what's as dark. You can, I mean, they turn off all the lights, but they also have so many like purple lights that they can get the whole thing purple in there, which is a really cool, um, just cool visual. And I agree that the fans in our section were good. Um, we had a lot of good, like passionate Vikings fans that we haven't seen there before. Not a ton of Steelers fans, but as we got later in the game, late third quarter, early fourth quarter from our section. And that's apparently from around the stadium. Cause I actually saw one when I was watching the highlights, it was just a paper airplane fest. Um, you see one go across the screen. I wonder how many happened during the game. Cause I just saw one during the highlights, but from our section, people are throwing paper airplanes all over the place. And yeah. Is it fun when one paper airplane makes it all the way from section 309 down on the field? Yeah. But that's only like, I don't know, 2% of all the airplanes being made and thrown. We're seeing people all over the place. They're like ducking, hitting people in the head, um, dive bombing people with these paper airplanes. At one point, like a security guy came up and was like just watching people to see who was doing it. And he didn't do anything, but um, so I'm out on the paper airplanes. I think people like, that's not, that's not fun for anybody. Like it's cool when one makes it, but that's not worth it for all the other chaos that it causes throughout the section. Right. I think, um, the guy, he was either one or two rows behind us, um, said it best. And he was on the opposite side. He was throwing paper, paper airplanes, but he goes, man, it's crazy. I haven't made a paper airplane in 20 years. And now look at all the enjoyment we're getting out of it. And I was like, yeah, also look at all the enjoyment you're getting out of paper airplanes and, 98% of them are just crashing into the back of people's necks. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. It, it seems childish to me. Um, and maybe if, if it was the one game I go to a year, it's great, but I don't want to get hit with paper airplanes for the chance that one makes it onto the field. Yeah. I feel like we've seen that in preseason games before. I don't know if we've seen it in a, in a regular season. So but Thursday night, if that's the worst thing that happens on a Thursday night, I think we'll take it. So based on our experience in the past. So lastly, I'll just mention that the it was a color rush game. Do you have any takes on the color rush jerseys as a whole? It's been around for, I don't know, five, six years now. Um, I think they're they're good. Um, 
in in limited usage. Um, I feel that I don't know. I think the NFL has rules on on what you on how many helmets you can have or whatever it may be, and and maybe those have lapsed by now. But um, it seems like our helmet doesn't necessarily match our color rush uniforms. Um, but they are, they have purple pants, so I guess you got to mark me down as as a a supporter. Yeah. Yeah, they're good once a year. I do think I would love to see what the if the horn on the helmet was yellow instead of white, what that would look like, just because it's you don't have any other white in the uniform with the all gold numbers and stuff. So that's my only note. But who knows? Maybe maybe they tried it and looked bad. I don't know. The other thing is weirdly, maybe this is why he had a little bit of an off game. Justin Jefferson wearing a, a black sleeve instead of a, a yellow sleeve, which usually you'll see during the color rush games. So just something to note there that I that I noticed. But let's move to Justin then and Kirk because just a weird game offensively when it comes to the passing game. So Kirk's stats. Well, first, let me say this. Obviously this week was tenuous on Vikings Twitter after the lions loss and lots of, you know, everyone coming for Zimmer's head and stuff. And then you have this vocal contingent of like Kirk defenders and like people that think Kirk cousins is the greatest quarterback ever, which I don't fall in that category. I'm not, I'm not a hater of Kirk either, but people are just a little, aggressive in defending him sometimes i think so but one of the most common things i saw on twitter this week was like basically saying we would love to see the vikings win a game where kirk cousins doesn't have to play great or or saying that this vikings team can't win a game without kirk cousins playing great well kirk cousins did not play great last night by any stretch so this was the one you know they obviously offensively they still produce a lot but um, Kirk did not play great. Uh, 14 for 31, 216 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Um, and more notably, some of these other advanced stats, um, 0 for 11 when he was pressured and with both of the interceptions. And then um, as far as this, we've used a few times this, this statistic, which is expected points added. Um, Kirk was a minus 5.9, which is very bad. But one good thing, his average depth of target was 11.2 yards, which is is very good and very high. So weird game overall. Do you have general thoughts on kind of just what was going on with that? With, you know, Thielen is out. You're trying to be aggressive, which I like. Just kind of missing things on a short week, out of rhythm, those sorts of things. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, as much as you can chalk some of it to Thielen being out and and – some of those guys further down on the jump chart having to step up and, and be in different positions. They haven't necessarily practiced this year. Um, Kirk was just off on a lot of throws. Um, the one I specifically think about um, was just a, a straight miscommunication with either Jefferson or uh, KJ Osborne is Kirk's throwing it deep to the, to the pylon mm-hmm. and, Jefferson's running inside and um, Osborne is running a 10 yard hitch. So it was just an off night. Um, hopefully the the longer break allows Kirk to kind of get back on, on the same page and, and be as accurate as he was to start the year. Um, I don't think the, the pressure has gotten to him as, as it did in years past where even when he is well protected, he gets, um, happy feet and, and checks down too early and that, that type of thing. But um, it seemed like a lot of his throws were, were not very accurate, but yeah, last night. 
Yeah, I think my overall verdict on Kirk was just I like the the chances that he took and the throws that he made as far as decision making and you know they're a little more aggressive. Obviously, that averaged up the target being really high, but they just didn't execute. It just wasn't accurate. I do think on a short week, like there may be just a little bit of timing stuff, and he was pressured some. He had a nice little scramble out of pressure one time, and. Yeah, I just think that he just wasn't wasn't his most accurate night. But I do I hope that they continue with just the kind of the offensive philosophy. You could argue with how well they were running. They should have run a little bit more in the second half, which I would agree with. But we can't have it both ways. Like we ask for more passing, more down the more down the field action and stuff, and that's what they did. And just sometimes you're going to hit, sometimes you're going to miss. But I do want to look at because JJ had a really interesting stat line, which you almost never see, which is seven target or seven catches on 15 targets, which is, you know, usually you're not having that many incompletions, no, no matter who you are um, that's being targeted. So I wanted to go through a few of these cause I watched these back and just kind of try to assess like what happened on some of these plays. Cause the thing about Justin Jefferson, especially in the first half, I don't think Pittsburgh came in and was like prepared to focus enough attention on him. Cause Throughout the first quarter, especially, he was just running wide open all over the place, beating whoever, whatever coverage he had. So he did have a touchdown, like uh, 80 yards or so total, but I think he could have had a much bigger game. So let me just run through these. I have five plays that I want to talk about real quick. So first, the first drive, uh, Kirk throws a to the left side, like a 30-yard um, basically jump ball to, to Jefferson um, in the corner of the end zone, and Jefferson's double-covered. And it does hit just Jefferson's hand. He has one, one hand out um, that it hits. And this one I think was a, I mean, it's about as accurate of a throw as you can make and one that he probably should bring in, but it would have been a great catch if he, if he had made it. So that one, I'm not really putting a blame on, on either one of them would have been a great, great executed play, but you know, a tough catch as well. So, but I do think I'd like to see Jefferson come down with that one in the future. And he can. Yeah, I, I saw a little discussion on this on, on Twitter um, after the game, and they were saying that that's the type of play where, where the coverage is, is good enough and um, the throw is good enough. It's just, it's just going to be a really hard play, and sometimes you're not going to make that. Um, it's a play where you hope Justin comes back to the, the huddle and says, keep throwing that, um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll hit it the next time. But um, – I don't think that's there's anything there that makes you remove it from the playbook or or have any aversion to to making that throw in that play again. Yep. Yeah, that's the kind of chance we want Kirk to take for sure. And if you only hit one out of three of them, like that's so worth it. So there was another one in the second quarter that was another target in the end zone for Jefferson, third and long. And Kirk is under pressure and gets rid of it um, a little early. And I think that just the timing was off and it was um, not necessarily overthrown, but just you see Justin on that one, he gets his fingertips on it, but the ball is already past his body. So by the time he had turned and gotten, you know, gotten adjusted to it and stuff, it was already past him. So I can't really, I don't really think that that's a drop. I think that's kind of another one timing a little bit off um, and didn't work out. So this one was the one that was frustrating to me the most, which was, I think it was in the third quarter and Jefferson's running a deep cross. And it was just one of those plays where I was watching him from the start for whatever reason, maybe I knew it was a pass or something, but it's just absolutely wide open. And Kirk just, just misses him, throws it too far up the field. Jefferson almost does like Odell Beckham, like one-handed catch. It'd be cool if he could have done it, but I just think that was the most wide open play that Kirk missed. 
and would like to have back. And that's the one where I don't think he was really pressured. And there was so much open field to throw to him on that one that that's the biggest miss of the game to me. Right. You, you'd hope not being under pressure that, and, and as open as Justin Jefferson was that Kirk can put a, a little more air under that ball and, and just give Justin a chance to kind of run underneath it and catch it. Um, he may not catch it at, at full speed in stride, but he's so open that he's going to still have a chance to make that next guy miss um, where the way that Kirk threw it, Justin had one chance to, to make that play and he, he did his best to leap and, and grab it. But um, yeah, that, that one, I, I put a lot on Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Two more real quick. So the, the biggest one was the interception that was um, targeted at Justin. And so this was in the third quarter and it was, I think it was on first down like a 20 yard or so cross and Kirk is trying to rifle it in between uh, the linebacker and the safety and it gets, it gets tipped up and it looked live. Like it was just a straight drop by Jefferson. Like it was off his arms, but you can see on the replay that that ball is tipped and changes, you know, changes course, changes direction, which when it's tipped that coming in that fast and that close to you as a receiver, that's just almost uncatchable. Like you can't put that on him. Can't, I mean, if you had to put it on anyone, I guess you put it on Kirk for throwing that. And and if a ball gets deflected, that's on him. But trying to fit it into a close window there and just a little unlucky, you know, by an inch that the guy got his finger on it. So, um, but yeah, definitely not a drop by Jefferson. You can't expect him to make that catch when it's deflected like that right in front of his, right in front of his arms. Yeah, it's, it's really just kind of unlucky that the tip happened so close to Jefferson that he doesn't have any chance to to adjust to it. Um, and then when it hits him, it, it pops right up in the air for, for an easy interception. Um, but like you said, I think you got to put that one on Kirk because it did get tipped, but, but Kirk's trying to, to fit it into a tight window. Um, I'd almost put that one as, as some of those interceptions, um, as long as you're being aggressive, like you said, it was maybe 20 yards down the field, um, are, are okay. Um, and, and shouldn't, shouldn't kill you as a, as an offense or as a team. Right. Yeah. You'd rather that, uh, that, that interception is more excusable than, you know, your guy getting beat underneath on the coverage or by the coverage and throwing the right to the D back, like happened with Osborne. I know he stumbled too, but I think he was beat on the route anyway. So, you know, I don't know if I, it's hard to tell the timing, like when Kirk knows if he's won the route or not, but um, maybe a bit of a, a force there or just not a good read. So, but the last one on Justin that I want to mention is this is the one that I really wish he could have come down with and should have um, in the fourth quarter, kind of another crossing route. Kirk throws it high and it's, it's in Justin's hands and he gets hit by, um, I think it was Minka Fitzpatrick and not really like a, you know, there was no penalty. So it wasn't, it was like a stand up hit, you know, but ball gets knocked out. And I just think, you know, we've talked a ton on this podcast already and even more off air, but, we're very, very high on Jefferson. I said last night during the game, especially in the first quarter when he was just dominating wide open, I'm like, he's the best receiver we've had since Moss, like no doubt in my mind. And, But I do think that there are a couple of things that he can can improve on, right? Which is um, maybe just hand strength a little bit as far as bringing in some of those ones with his hands. And then he's got a few weird, again, I don't know if you can call them drops, but like when a ball is maybe a little off speed or outside of his frame for whatever reason he can make contested catches still too so it's hard to describe what it is with some of these ones that bounce off of his arms and stuff maybe it's 
tracking the ball or stuff. I don't know, but you know, I have no issues. I have not like, I will absolutely take him as he is right now, but I do think there's a couple of things that he can improve on um, moving forward just to go to even another level with, with some of these catches, especially um, some of these hand catches that he can make um, when he gets, you know, off by a step or out of, out of phase for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. I think, think you kind of nailed it there with the, the two that come to mind were the, the deep pass on the first drive that he gets one hand on, um, but ultimately doesn't come up with. And then the throw that Kirk missed to him when he was wide open, he, like you said, almost makes an Odell catch and, and gets hand on it. But even if he just comes down with those two balls, which are two amazing catches, um, his, his stat line is, is insane. So, um, if it is hand strength and or, or something along those lines and it's something he can work on and become even more dominant then then he's going to be even more fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, we're not going to get into the big picture Kirk discussion right now, but the case for keeping him may be if he can develop some of that chemistry with Jefferson, where they're making plays, you know, where they know where each other are and stuff and each other's preferences. That's certainly a, a good thing um, in Kirk's favor. So, but let me mention KJ Osborne, who had a huge game as well, um, based on one large, one long touchdown pass. He's wide receiver two now with Thielen out. I don't know if we know if Thielen will be playing in Chicago next week. Just what do you kind of hope? Let's let's talk like Thielen's out for another week or two. Um, we don't know that, but you know, what are you hoping to see from Osborne? What role can he kind of fit into? I don't think we like our depth beyond him at receiver. So you know, him stepping into that wide receiver two role and really needing production from him. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think um, if he gives you 60 yards a game and and if that comes on five catches, that's going to be really, really good um, for for his production. I will mention his touchdown this week um, was probably Kirk's best throw of the the game. Um, As many as he missed, that that was a dime. And um, back to Osborne, if he, if he can get behind the, the defense once a game or, or even once every two weeks, that's, that's great out of your wide receiver too because Justin should, and rightfully so, um, demand a lot of those targets. Um, but if, if you can be sure-handed, um, running routes past, past the sticks and, and getting five to six catches a game, um, I, I like where the Vikings would be if, if KJ can give them that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as we kind of wrap this up, looking forward to the rest of the season, my, what I'm watching, especially with the offense is okay. You now have, if, if Dalvin can continue to play like this and you have better running run blocking than what we've seen so far this season. And then Jefferson has obviously ascended. You have that two headed monster on offense, both run and pass options. So Clint's challenge will be you need to get Justin and Dalvin there, you know, their touches to some extent, you know, 15 targets, maybe a little greedy, but I would take it. And, you know, Dalvin needs to, to be getting those opportunities as well. While also, you know, leveraging the attention that they're going to be getting from opposing defenses to give opportunities for Osborne and for, you know, Conklin or whoever else scheme some things up, right. That play off of that is what I would like to see more of. So you know, you have almost an embarrassment of riches here, but you need to find that balance of, you know, 
force feeding them to an extent, but also you should be able to uh, play off some of those tendencies or those things the defense is expecting to get, I mean, honestly, like wide open stuff for some of these other guys. Right. Yeah. And I think we've touched on it before with, with expecting a lot out of Adam Thielen because of the, the attention Justin Jefferson is getting, but um, backing that down to just Justin and Delvin, um, I think you, you set up a game plan where you, you, you focus on one of them early to set the other one up and then you sprinkle in those, those, possibly big plays to the other guys um, because of all the attention that, that those two should attract. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about designing plays. I would be bad at it, but I think that especially when we've seen a few times now, Jefferson in the backfield, something with you have Jefferson on one side, you have Dalvin on the other side, you have defenses that are keen on both of them. Is there an opportunity for, for Kirk to have a wide open run somewhere? I don't know which direction. I don't know if up the middle or to the one of the, you know, outside, but a couple of fakes there. Defense goes with those guys in the red sea parts. I could see it happening maybe in the red zone. So would love to see it um, from here though. Okay. Four more games. We've got over a week off before the Monday nighter in soldier field, which is always a nervous place to go, but where are you at as far as investment? Obviously quick turnaround from a loss that was pretty horrible to the lions. Um, six and seven in the playoff picture still need to see one more before we kind of get not all in, but um, kind of believe in as far as the rest of the season goes. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with, I need to see the Vikings above 500 um, <laughs> and they're going to need to win um, a couple down, down the stretch here to make that happen. But um if you can take care of business against the bears on, on Monday night to get to 500 and then, then you got a couple tough games coming up. But if, if the Vikings can get to nine and eight, I, I really feel that makes the playoffs. I think I looked up the stat and, and it may be different now, but um, I think only like six teams have ever won the super bowl from, from a wild card berth. So expecting them to win the Super Bowl for this season may still be fool's gold, but oh, yeah. I think that's the, uh, that's the point of sports um, is, is locking in and, and enjoying or being sad with people at the same time. But I think they got to get to that nine and eight number and they still might need some help um, to get into the playoffs, but the Vikings have proven they can probably play with any team in the league and they're going to play with any team in the league, whether it be good or bad. Um, so if, if you can somehow string together a few, cause there's close games, the Vikings have lost, lost a lot of them. Um, almost all their wins are still one score games as well. Uh, maybe some, some regression to the mean happens there and, and you win a couple in a row and, and then we can, possibly feel frisky about this team, but I need to see them above 500 where you're at. Where are you at? Yeah. If, if they beat Chicago it are at 500 and then we have a home game to get above 500, I'll walk into that home game um, invested to the extent of like, you know, we want to make the playoffs and you know, this is a, a game to do it. So um, that would be the Rams game. So, you know, we'll see Monday night on Chicago again is always a, um, 
another one to be not dreading, but not excited for either. So, but I'm excited to see it. I mean, the thing about it is, especially after, you know, last time, last night being a nationally televised game, the NFL should want this team to make the playoffs because can you, I just, I just want to see it. I don't think that they're going to go to the Super Bowl, but one game, whether it's at Green Bay, at Tampa Bay, um, Arizona, whatever it is, just the entertainment factor of this team and all of the chaos that comes with it in a playoff game would be worth it to me. So that's what I want to see. And hopefully we'll be able to get there. Yeah. I think um, the worst thing that can happen for the NFL is to have a, a blowout in the playoffs when, when you're hoping to get all that viewership. Um, and I think the Vikings almost guarantee of that not happening by them or, or to them um, if we've seen anything this year. So the NFL should want them in the playoffs and maybe, uh, maybe Goodell can call in some favors to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. The it's even hard. We'll have to look back on the season after it's over, but the amount of one score games games ending on the last play is historic and honestly like an art form that this team is able to just perform its art every week from getting up to going down to getting back to the place, always ending up in the same place, either win or lose where it's a coming down to the last play. So it's been a ride. It will continue to be a ride. So got a few extra days off here before the next one. Um, hopefully we can regroup and be ready for Chicago. So unless you have anything else, school. No, that's all I got. And um, depending on how that Chicago game goes, if it's super embarrassing and we're not back on the pod, Merry Christmas. <laughs> all right, thanks. In situations like this, there's only two money guys on this team. Find them. Find them. Lady, what you going to do today? I got my A game. You got your A game? Yes, sir. You got his A game.